I have lots of good memories uh, of Christmas. And it seems like this time of year is where between the sights and the smells and the sounds, uh, it kind of unlocks those memories of once, what once was, uh, kind of brings it into the presence, into the present. Um, but it seems to be happening earlier and earlier, doesn't it? Um, this year, if you didn't catch it, they started marketing Christmas, Halloween. So there you have a scary mask, right? And a baby in a manger. <laughs> That's a completely different message for a whole another time. Um, but for me, uh, Christmas started after Thanksgiving. And um, we would, you know, I, I can't remember the day, but my family would, we'd sit down and have dinner together. So I, I guarantee you it was after a meal and uh, there was probably a fire in the fireplace. We would sit down and do as a lot of you did, write your list to Santa and send those off to, to the North Pole, right? And, um, and then you, as a kid, you would just anticipate, you'd be excited about seeing that later on under the tree at the end of the month. And uh, for us, uh, Christmas also was ushered in. We'd go get our tree. But we didn't go and uh, pick it out like at a little parking lot or whatever. We went to a farm and uh, we dug it up. And then we replanted it after Christmas. So that was a whole thing that we did. And it's neat to go back today with uh, Kim and the kids and walk around the yard. And we can point to Christmas's past, you know, and, and, and you look up at these trees and I have no idea how they ever fit under an eight-foot roof. But, um, you know, December was just filled with stuff like that. Dad was a musician, so we'd go to concerts. Mom loved to bake. We would, the family had to do the deliveries. Um, so there was so much that went on, which was good because it was fun. But as a kid, it made December just drag on. And uh, once Christmas Eve got there, um, it seemed like Christmas Eve had 48 hours in the day versus 24 hours because you wanted to get to that next morning. But uh, I remember going with my family. We would go visit family and friends about 30 minutes away. And um, I, we, my dad always had a van. And I remember the yellow van for some reason. So I would always sit in that yellow van and look out through the window. You know, the cold glass would be about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And it would be dark. And I'd see those stars. And they were so bright. And on Christmas Eve, there was just, there was a silence. There was an excitement. There was an anticipation that I felt. And I remember every year feeling that. And then we'd go and have the celebration with my family and uh, aunts and uncles, and it would go into the evening, late, you know, late into the evening, and it's good because I fell asleep. And on normal nights, you know, my parents would be able to transfer me from the car to the bed, but not on Christmas Eve because those eyes would pop open and you'd start all over again trying to go to sleep so you can wake up for what you had anticipated um, coming. And I know those are my memories, right? Those are my memories. They are not yours. And you may have some painful memories of childhood. And I, in the process of preparing for the message, I did speak to people who had rough childhoods. But Christmas still had this sense of excitement and anticipation and a sense of happiness and joy for them. They were able to find that. And when I talked to them, I, I gave them two questions. I said, the first thing, tell me about your childhood as a, a, with respect to Christmas. Tell me about your Christmas as a child. Now, they give me this dazed look at first. They say, okay. And they start telling me about that one, that the morning, Christmas morning. But without any prompting whatsoever, 
they would have me back at like after the Thanksgiving meal to all of their traditions, whatever they did. I heard candy calendars. I heard dad bringing in a Christmas tree. I heard about, uh, you know, going through the town, looking at the house lights. And I could not stop them. It is like they had like three Dr. Peppers or jolts before I talked to them. They would. I couldn't get in my second question. Because my second question to them was, and I did get it in, I said, how about Christmas as, as an adult, what is that like? And um, they immediately said, you know what? I really enjoy now being able to create that experience for my kids or for those friends and family that are important to me. I like giving that experience to them, uh, that joy of giving. But everyone in their own unique way said something very similar. They just said it in different words. And their, their body language was very revealing. You know that can be. As, um, their face was a little bit saddened. Some, it, it, they said these words with tears. It wasn't a present that they missed at all. What they said they missed was that dependence that they had as a child, that dependence on someone else that allowed them to experience the freedom of that Christmas event, you know, they were saying to me, where did that go? I could count on that. That was a, an assurance deep down that I had that something was going to happen. And they were sharing, where did that go? We're in a short series called Vintage Christmas. And it is our desire, when you hear that word vintage, you think of, you know, um, the origin of something, like a car, the first year that it was out. It's our desire for everyone here to experience a vintage Christmas, that you would go back and understand the origin of, of Christmas and the meaning of it, and that it would, that good news of Jesus Christ would be fresh and renewed, and that, that joy and that hope that perhaps is not there anymore, or is is dim, would come to life and that you would experience that vintage Christmas. And some of you this morning may not even hope anymore because of what's going on. Or your hope may be, um, you may hope, but you don't really have any confidence or assurance that something's going to change. And the thought of joy may seem impossible. But the fact that you are in this building today, that you're in this seat means you haven't given up on God, and he has not given up on you. And so this morning, what I want to do is we're going to journey through God's word here. Ushers are going to be coming down with Bibles, because we're going to go into a story this morning and look at God's word to challenge us about, hey, where is our hope attached? And we'll go in set search of perhaps what's missing in our lives. In the Bibles that are being handed out, if you go to uh, page 710, or if you brought your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, um, somewhere in there, so we'll, we'll jump around. So if you open that up, our story starts today with a young Jewish woman named Mary, who was um, anticipating this day she long awaited for. She it was about to get married. She was, you'll read the words, pledged to get married. You can think engagement. But she had waited for this time 
for the longest time. She saw family and friends go through this great, joyous celebration, and she was looking forward to the day that she would find that special man, and she would be able to have one of those days herself. And that time had come for her. She found that special man. His name was Joseph. They were pledged to be married. And engagement in that time meant something far different than what we know it to here. Um, in the Jewish culture back then, it was a period of about one year, and it was very, very formal. So even though they weren't married, they would be referred to as husband and wife. And also, if the engagement, for whatever reason, had to be broken off, there was a, a legal uh, process that you had to go through, a divorce, if you will, to actually call that off. And so we, we enter the story where Mary's sights are on in the next few months in the year ahead of getting married. And, and an angel of God had just come in, named Gabriel, came in and delivered some news to her. The angel said that you are going to be with child, and this child is going to be the son of God. He's going to be the king, and he's going to reign forever. So um, her hopes of marriage were interrupted with potentially devastating news. Devastating because, first of all, a child outside of marriage meant potential stoning to death. Also, if she were to share that this child is the son of God, that's blasphemy. So then again, law was going to come after her. So she had every opportunity as she approached this Christmas, first Christmas, if you will, to feel hopeless. She had every opportunity for that. And maybe as you approach this holiday yourself, you have every reason perhaps to feel hopeless with the things that are before you. Maybe it's finances. We all see the economy. You're, you turn on any news, you go to any webpage. Um, either you know somebody or you yourself have lost your job or there's the threat of losing your job, which can lead to hopelessness. Or maybe you're a, a child with a parent struggling with, in marital difficulties, and so you're feeling c- quite hopeless right now. I think looking at the story of Mary and seeing where she attached her hope and how she responded to this interruption gives us great insight on where her hope was attached and can help us deal with the things that are before us. So if you look at page 710 again, and we're going to be at verse 34 of Luke chapter 1, this is right after the news has been delivered to to Mary, and this is how she responds. Mary says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And I like how, looking at that, Mary is the first one to actually question the virgin birth. But look at how she questioned it. She said, how will this be? Or some translations say, how shall this be? Mary knew it would happen. She just didn't know how it was going to happen. Which was, She didn't know the details. Unlike Zechariah, if you read the beginning of that chapter, you see that Zechariah, an angel visited Uh, Zechariah and said, listen, you and Elizabeth have been trying to have a child and she is barren, but you will be able to conceive. And his response was, how can that be? She's so old. And there was an element of, um, you know, there's no way that's going to happen. He didn't believe it. There's a difference 
in the responses. And Mary's response showed that she anticipated that something was going to happen. And so if your hope has gone, is missing, have you set out in search of it? Have you started asking questions? Is there anything preventing you from going out and seeking it? Sometimes it's confusion. Sometimes it's fear that prevents us from doing that. But look, look at that story. Mary was confused. Mary was fearful, but she did not let it paralyze her from going to seek God about what was to happen. And so you need to know, sometimes we feel bad as Christians that I shouldn't feel this way. It is okay to feel those things. Just don't let it paralyze you. Go and, and do in search of like she did. She took a different approach. She asked questions and she listened. And you know she had to be thinking, we don't read it in scripture, but you know she had to be going, oh, this was not the news I wanted to hear. This, this means potential disgrace. The law is going to come after me, my marriage. I, she didn't do that. We don't read it there, but I'm, I guarantee you it was up there. The approach that she ultimately took was to ask questions and to listen. And sometimes we're too busy shouting our case to God, right, to have his will match my will. I, you know, sometimes I have my own version of the Lord's Prayer where it's my kingdom come, right? My will be done. But that's not what we see Mary saying here at all. Matter of fact, it gives us great insight to see how she responded. Look at verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. To me, that's her version of your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. She got the prayer right. A lot of times it's on me, but she said, your will. You know, I'll paraphrase her words. She said it real succinctly, but I'll paraphrase it. She said, God, I know you love me. I know that my plans do not match what you obviously have in store for me. And you know what? I know you love me, and I, and I know you got plans for me. And ultimately, I'm going to have to trust that your plans are to prosper me, not to hurt me. But Lord, I see before me a very tough period, a dark period. This is disgraceful stuff in their eyes. But Lord, I'm going to trust that in this darkness, you will put light in my path so I can take a step. And I'm ultimately going to trust you that you will take care of me through all of this. She knew that being chosen meant not only a crown of joy, but it also meant sometimes a crown of sorrow. She knew that life with Christ wasn't just uh, you know, ease and comfort. We know the rest of the story, right, of what happened to her son. She had to sit there and watch him be crucified. And she knew that she was charged with a task, and it would take everything she had, both hands, heart, and head, everything she had, and she knew that she could trust and was uh, leaning on God, coming through on everything that he had promised. You see, her heart was not set on an event. It wasn't set on a thing. It was set on God. And it gave her a hope that could not disappoint whatsoever. Romans 5 talks about this kind of hope. 
that doesn't disappoint. It says this in Romans 5, uh, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. There was this simplicity in her faith despite the mystery that was still there. The very simple faith despite the mystery. And a lot of times we shrink our hope down to the things that we can see. We make God a whole lot smaller than he is. And we start to connect our hope to things like success. Which if you watch that, it gets redefined by the world over and over again. So just when I think I have it nailed down, it's redefined and I'm chasing something else. We can attach it to money. And if you've never been in the case where you're trusting your money and then it starts to go and you really start to see who are you trusting? Are you trusting God or the money? We can attach our things, hope to money as well. We can attach it to people. And you can attach it to the most loving person you want, but I guarantee you they will fail you at some point. Some people attach it to the church. You know, you hear people say, I love LifePoint, 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 LifePoint. If we haven't failed you yet as a church, we will stick around. Um, That's just the way it is. We have to ask ourselves, where is my hope attached today? A lot of times we go around feeling stressed, continually stressed, anxious, discouraged. We're always trying to control everything. And those are just signs that we have attached our hope to something far smaller than God. And when we do that, we don't live with guarantees anymore at all. And God becomes smaller and we become smaller. And I say we become smaller because typically, I mean, we all hope there isn't anybody in this room that doesn't have a hope. It gets us out of bed. And so whatever we put our hope in, we usually put our significance, our identity, our purpose is in that thing that we have attached to our hope. And so I say it shrinks when we attach it to something smaller than God because when that thing goes away, then typically it affects who we are in many, many different ways. So you have to ask yourself the question, what is my hope attached to today? And what would happen if that thing went away? Now, the text, as we're reading it, doesn't indicate that Mary was troubled or doubted at all. But if she was, I guarantee you that God already had that covered because he used um, Elizabeth to confirm what he said he was going to do in Mary's life. When you read in um, verse 41, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and we read in 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. God did use Elizabeth to confirm what was going to be done in Mary's life. And I want to use this point to tell you that something that I know isn't in there, but it's a, 
It's theologically true, and you will see it throughout Scripture, that God will use people to help you celebrate the joys in life, okay? But he will also use other people to come alongside people whose hope is shot, who cannot stand on their own two feet, who are on the floor and have no idea how they're ever going to be able to experience a sense of joy or any kind of peace whatsoever. God uses other people to do that. And so I have to ask this question. You have to ask this question. Who in your life needs an Elizabeth? Because God may be calling you to be that to that person. And it is so important, not just during this holiday, right? We, we look at it now. But throughout the year, who do you need to be an Elizabeth to? Elizabeth said to Mary, blessed are you because you believed and you accepted. That's another theological point you find throughout Scripture. Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm chapter 40, verse 4 says, blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord. Mary was blessed because she accepted and believed. Mary knew that all things are possible with God. There were no impossibilities. She knew that her father knew that what she needed before she even asked. And Mary also knew that in all things, God would work for the good of those who love him. And Christmas is a reminder to us that God put before us a gift that he wants us to accept and to believe and to depend on and to put first priority on. So many times in my life, I think that I've grabbed a hold of Christ so tightly only for him to show me that I've got something else I'm holding on to. And he just wants to peel my hands away from that because he wants us to be just sold out on him. I want to encourage you this upcoming week to read Luke chapter 1. When you get to the end of that story, you will see if you're in one of the common translations, something titled Mary's Song. And what that is, is right at the end, it is the words expressed what Mary was feeling in her soul. It's rejoiceful words. You see, she reminds us that God, if you trust him as your father, he is mindful of his children. That though their trials are going to come, that his strength will hold you that he will lift you up, that you will never grow hungry, and that over and over again, he will show you his mercy and his grace. And that's our song. That is what we want you to feel during this Christmas season and forward. And to ask yourself the question, because maybe you're not feeling that this time, maybe not this year, ask yourself that question, where is my hope attached to and what would happen if that thing went away. Um, because if it is affixed to the person of Jesus Christ, that is when life starts to have life. And it will instill, it will be an anchor for your soul, and it will instill and ignite a quiet sense of joy and peace and comfort no matter what comes at you in life. That's our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for your reminder. Your word applies um, over and over and over again in our lives.
And uh, thank you for the reminder of your son and for the example of Mary, uh, just how she simply trusted you and she could go boldly and unafraid into the future because she had that assurance that you will take care of her. Help us to set on that road to um, uh, hold your hand and to enter into that relationship and experience that same, same thing. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.